This is episode 7 of the Bricks and Motor Podcast. Bricks and Motor Podcast, well that's a show about property, if you're interested in property, if you've got uh, property that you want to buy, property you want to sell, if you're renting or if you're investing in property then I'm sure we're going to have something in the next half an hour that is going to float your boat, light your candle and tickle your fancy. It's been a pretty crazy week in Glasgow as far as the property market is concerned. Um, I think really we're facing uh, a bit of a bubble, I have to say, in the Glasgow property market. And I think that's reflected in Edinburgh as well. There really is a lack of stock that is on the market at the moment. But that's not stopping a lot of people wanting to try and buy what stock there is. And what that is creating is a bubble, an artificial bubble that is really making property prices in the better parts of Central the west end of Glasgow incredibly expensive. Uh, I've now put in I think about three or four offers over the last week or so and have been unable to achieve a purchase for any of my clients mainly because everybody is offering over the the home report value. It is becoming incredibly difficult. I think it's very difficult to know where the market is going. Somebody asked me this afternoon uh, where I thought the market was going and it is very difficult to tell because we're in this bubble at the moment. I think what needs to happen is that more property needs to come onto the market and then we'll have an idea as to what's happening with prices. Certainly it's a time for sellers to fill their boots Uh, a very difficult market to get into for your better properties. And therefore, that's why you've got to be listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast because we will be able to tell you how to get that dream property. Before we start off, I'll just tell you a bit about what's also been happening with me. Uh, Number two uh, got our cast off and we ended up going to the Death Star on Thursday And, of course, the consultant turned around and said that she shouldn't be doing X, Y and Z as far as her running, jumping and skipping is concerned. And what did she do? But the following day, the Friday, she ended up going to this athletics match and uh, ended up winning her race, which was great for her. Um, I have to say my heart was somewhat in my mouth, uh, given the... What the consultant was was saying to me, her her uh, words were ringing in my ears that uh, she shouldn't be doing anything uh, that could potentially lead to a fall. Um, but my daughter, being my daughter, uh, decided, oh, what the hell, I'm just going to go for it. So, um, yeah, she did well. Uh, number two, well, she was off at the, the Duke of Edinburgh. She was doing her two or three day uh, jaunt out in the hills of Calendar. Uh, she came back absolutely knackered, um, but in one piece. So that was all good. And then I'm trying to put some some miles in because I've got the half marathon coming up in Kintyre. That's all coming up on Sunday. Uh, I think that's going to be a bit of a suffer fest. I have to say I have put the training a bit on the back burner, so to speak, and really I think I will be struggling to to get anything below 140. Um, I think it's a tough course, there's a bit on the beach, um, and it's it can be very windy down there on the Kintyre, so I'm just going to to go around and, and see if I can uh, duck under 145. I think I'd be pretty pleased if I can get under 145. 
But you're not here to, to uh, listen to me prattling on about marathon running. You're here to listen to me talking about property. Uh, what we're going to do this episode is I'm going to do a wee bit about mindset. Mindset is, uh, you must have heard about mindset and mindfulness. It, it is uh, the sort of buzzword, the, the thing to do. Uh, that in yoga seems to be the thing in the last year or two which has really caught on. But um, I'm quite big into my mindset. Uh, there's a woman by the name of Carol Dweck who, uh, if you know anything about mindfulness and mindset, you'll know uh, Professor Carol Dweck. She's all about mindfulness. Uh, we'll talk a wee bit about that. Uh, certainly one of the things everybody, I think, knows about mindset and improving your mindset, changing your mindset... What maybe we don't concentrate so much on is actually working on that and trying to improve our mindset. So I'm going to give you four tips on mindset. We'll then talk about the main part of the show, which is going to be the offer. Uh, We are going to talk about what you should be thinking about doing as far as offering for a property at a closing date, what tactics, what theories you can use to give you the best possible chance to get you over the line and get that proper get that offer accepted and then we'll talk of do the roundup I said I was going to talk about mindset and that's what I'm going to do now I suppose maybe about 60 years ago personal development and self-improvement were considered a bit weird and wacky um, I remember when I was playing cricket pretty seriously, I, I got into uh, mindset and into um, sports psychology in, in quite a big way. And that was probably back in the in the late 80s. Uh, and I guess that was probably a forerunner of, of what we're all talking about now, having a an open mindset and, and not having a closed mindset, open mindset being that you can achieve or try and achieve anything and there's no barriers in front of you and what you don't want to be is have a a closed mindset which will limit what you can potentially achieve. Uh, Today, however, more people are open to the concepts of uh, mindset and mindfulness uh, and various other ideas, but very few seem to know how to do a mindset check. It's all very well talking about mindset and and putting everything into practice, but you need to continue to teach yourself. You need to continue to practice. And and what I'm going to do here is give you four uh, checks and four tips that may lead to a mindset upgrade. So there's four tools here that I'm going to talk about. Um, There's the the paradigm check, there's the bedside reminder, the power of comparison, and also future imaging. Future imaging is really, I suppose I used to call it visualisation back in the day. So first of all, you've got the paradigm check. Um, Paradigm, I guess, is a a set belief that's often difficult to spot. For example, you could be in a career or a business where you are at a cruising altitude rather than aiming for the stars because you think that what you what you are is as good as it pretty much gets. I think a lot of us fall in to to that. Um, uh, the best way of seeing through the mists of, of these paradigms, I suppose, is by having a few sessions with a coach or a friend who can challenge you um, 
challenge your current thinking in a positive way. So I suppose the next time you're you're doing a one-to-one with a, a colleague or a friend, um, well, why don't you take on the role of... Uh, you know, pushing them in a positive way, obviously, but pushing them to challenge their current thinking. And I think what that will what will lead to is a conversation between the two of you as to how you both can potentially uh, challenge your current thinking, uh, as I say, in a positive way. The bedside reminder, uh, this is... is I, th- I thought twice about actually putting this in, but um, this is this is incredibly American. Um, what they're suggesting you should do here is get an index card uh, and write down a question that would prompt you to think about success more often. So, for example, you might put on an index card something on the lines of, why am I not seeing the obvious next step to being more successful? Pretty straightforward. Why am I not seeing the obvious next step of being more successful and what you do is you read this as often as possible particularly when you wake up and when you go to bed and by all accounts what that is meant to do is to get you thinking about how you can improve yourself simple and uh, a very good technique and certainly one that uh, that does work next is the compare of the power rather of comparison I think we've all felt like this, that uh, we've we've been at work and, and we haven't had a great day and we're just feeling down in the dumps and uh, it, we're, we're feeling almost, I'm not, I was going to use the word depressed, I suppose, but uh, yeah, we, we've, we've all had not great days at work and, and what you need to do there then is you need to snap out of it and one of the best ways of doing that is by comparing your problem with a worse problem probably a a worse problem news story that's going on that day. You know, some might think that that's negative, but it's not being negative, but it is using a negative to achieve a rapidly improved feeling about your perceived poor situation. And that's the thing. It's a perceived poor situation. It's all about perception. And that's all really to do with, with mindset and improving your mindset and having an open mindset. Finally, future imaging. Back in the day when I was playing cricket, we always used to call this visualisation. Sports people do this a lot. What they're doing is they're imagining uh, scoring a goal, serving an ace, putting a golf ball into the hole many times over before they actually make the imagined shot a reality. So what they're doing is that they're rehearsing the the steps and imagining success that is incredibly powerful and it is something that I would wholly recommend you do it it, it does take a bit of getting used to and with all these four tips uh, it does take a wee bit of a change of mindset to get into the habit of of doing that but let me tell you if you are prepared to put in Uh, the hours as far as changing your mindset, I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that you will see uh, rapid improvements. Um, As far as the visualisation is concerned, uh, you can apply that to the the technique of visualisation to absolutely anything. And it is quite literally the best way to sharpen your focus. So that's mindset upgrading your 
mindset in order to upgrade your mindset uh, and get a more positive mindset uh, then you should be looking to do those four things every few weeks or so it is don't get me wrong it is easy to slide backwards into negativity without realizing and you really need to to concentrate and trying to get those done every few weeks or so but the good news is that if you do it the process uh, you do that process then there certainly is no downside to it so have a go at those that's future imaging the bedside reminder the paradigm check and the power of comparison The main content of today's show is going to talk about the offer. Uh, We have spoken in the past about the property, the viewing of the property, uh, getting a solicitor on board and of course getting the mortgage on board. We've now reached the nitty gritty of getting the offer into the estate agent and we'll talk a wee bit here about the closing date uh, and also what's involved in the offer. So what's going to happen is that you've seen the property, you've hopefully fallen in love with it and the next step really is to get in touch with your solicitor and ask the solicitor to note the interest in the property. Uh, This is something that you could probably do yourself. Uh, Some estate agents uh, are a wee bit uppity about taking a note of interest from a punter and it may well be that you'll just have to contact the solicitor and ask the solicitor to do that for you. If the property is just on the market and there's a fair amount of interest in the property, then in all likelihood it's going to go to a closing date. There's no guarantee that if you, this is another myth that I'll probably talk about next week, but there is no guarantee that if you note an interest that you'll get given an opportunity of making an offer at the closing date Uh, but again I'll talk about that at greater length next week. So it's going to go to a closing date you'll probably get probably a week's notice or so in connection with the closing date and you've got to come up with a figure you've got to put your thinking cap on and uh, speak to your solicitor and they should be able to give you some good advice as to what you should be offering. So what does the offer consist of? Well, the offer consists of who you are, the purchaser. So you've got your name, your address, obviously the property that you're going to be buying. uh, That needs to be put in the offer. The all-important price, which I will talk about in a minute That's to say how much you should be bidding for a property. Date of entry, that's pretty important. You can put a date in, you can put a date to be mutually agreed. Um, Generally speaking, what I I find is that the offer is going to be either accepted or not accepted by and large on the price. And so what I would be always suggesting is maybe not put a, a date of entry in unless you're absolutely adamant that you need to get a specific date of entry. For example, if you're putting an offer in to buy a property, having already sold your property you and you've got a date for the sale, you'll want to dovetail that. So that would be one reason why you would want to put a date of entry. But uh, I always think you're better putting just a mutually agreed date of entry because you don't want to be putting something there cast in stone that maybe potentially puts off the uh, the seller 
and in a bidding situation where there may be somebody who's got an offer close to you, what you don't want is they, they decide just to take a different offer because they think that you're not going to be flexible as far as the date of entry is concerned. So I would always err on the side of caution and make sure that you put in a date of entry to be mutually agreed. Next, we're talking about movables. Movable items are the white goods, uh, the carpets, the curtains, uh, all that good stuff. I've got a general list. I think most solicitors will probably have a general list, general list uh, that gets put in every single offer. Again, rather being um, uh, prescriptive about it, uh, I've got a list that pretty much covers all of the potential white goods. Ultimately, if the white goods aren't there, then the, the seller's just going to knock those out in terms of the offer. So that's the, the movable items. Back when I started in the early 1990s, uh, you used to put together what's called a schedule of conditions. And the schedule of conditions used to run sometimes to 20, 30, possibly even 40 uh, specific conditions. Uh, that'll be 745 again. And But that's no longer the case now. What happens is that reference is made to what is called the standard clauses. Back, I suppose, a decade ago, we had the Glasgow standard clauses, which were uh, pretty much all of the solicitors in Glasgow banded together to come up with a standard set of conditions. Edinburgh had some Dundee and Aberdeen. Uh, and about uh, three, four years ago, uh, the Law Society decided that uh, it would be a good idea that all the solicitors got together and created what's called the Scottish standard clauses. So there's now a standard clause which I have to say a great majority of solicitors will use. And that's great because what it means is that everybody knows what the clauses are. Everybody knows the rules of the game and the whole point about putting together the standard clauses was very much to short circuit the missive or the contract. Uh, don't get me wrong, there are aspects of the uh, standard clauses that um, we do argue about amongst solicitors. Um, we're going back to and fro, main one being, I suppose, the alterations clause uh, and the factoring clause. But uh, yeah, by and large, the standard clauses work and they certainly short circuit what used to be somewhat of a tortuous affair. Standard clauses, well, they will deal with, amongst other things, a central heating clause, making sure that the central heating is going to be working on the date of entry. And if it's not, then you get five days in which to intimate a claim. There'll be a clause dealing with the alterations, making sure that all the documentation is going to be available for any alterations that have been carried out. There will be a clause relating to dampened timber uh, that makes sure that any uh, guarantees are going to be available at the time of settlement. There'll be a clause relating to common repairs and whether or not the property is factored. There'll be a clause relating to property inquiry reports. That's the report that you get from the local authority or a private searching company confirming that uh, the property is not under a compulsory purchase order and there are no disrepair notices and also that the uh, the sewerage is publicly maintained and the water is also 
publicly maintained. And there's also a clause there about the coal report, just making sure that the seller is obliged to give you, as the purchaser, a coal authority report. So that's the standard clauses that's referred to in the offer. The offer goes out at the closing date. Uh, closing date generally is called at round about 12 noon. And um, you put your offer in. You can put your offer in by email. You can fax it. Uh, you can even hand deliver it if you wish. All the offers are um, received by the estate agent or the solicitor and... By and large, you'll probably get a response that day. I guess if it's a repossession, you're going to be maybe waiting uh, possibly a week or so before they decide which offer to take. Again, if it's an executory, you're buying a property from somebody who's deceased. All the beneficiaries will have to have an input, so sometimes you won't get a response back on that day. But... Yeah, by and large, you'll, you'll get uh, the offer accepted. Um, you will have heard the adage, no news is good news. Uh, well, that doesn't work as far as closing dates are concerned. I have to say, uh, no news is bad news. What you will find is that the estate agent will phone you back quickly if you're successful. Uh, so, unfortunately, if I'm not phoning you until half past four on the closing date, they all, in all likelihood, it's not going to be good news. The next thing to talk about is actually how much to offer. And this is where you have to walk the tightrope of having enough to be successful and not offering too much. Uh, I put an offer in for a client today and we were successful and there's nothing better than an estate for, for me as a purchasing solicitor uh, to hear that the estate agents are telling me that we've we've won the property by uh, not very much, uh, nothing better. Um, that There is sometimes the, the awful prospect of finding out that you've won the property only to realise that you've you've paid a king's ransom over the uh, the, the next bid, uh, something that, that sometimes doesn't go down so well with clients. But ultimately, they've got the property and, and that's what we are instructed to try and, and achieve for the clients is to ensure that they get the property. We can't always get the win the property and and purchase the property for uh, for 50 quid or so i think for a first time buyer uh, this is still talking about how much to offer for a property it, it is very important to ensure that they don't go uh, nut bar as far as offering a ridiculous amount of money for the property um the unless it's going to be a property that they're going to be staying in for a considerable period of time, they always have to have their eye on the fact that they're going to have to sell the property because in selling that property, that will be the deposit for their next property. And if they pay too much for the property now, uh, they will already be a negative equity from day one and they'll have to uh, let the market catch up before they get into positive territory as far as the value of the property is concerned. So it, it's, as I say, a tightrope that you need to walk between 
being competitive and putting enough in to ensure that you are competitive but not over-egging it so that you're left realising that you've paid too much for the property. There are various strategies that uh, I've come across over my time and what I wanted to do now was just to talk a wee bit about those strategies and also after that just um, give you my take as to, to what I think you should be doing so the strategies that you come across, um, first one is my lucky number. Uh, I would say that um, a lot of people will put in their lucky number as far as um, putting an offer in. A uh, story to tell you was, uh, I think last year, the year before, uh, we had a client who had won at a closing date and won by £11. Uh, he had put his lucky number, which was 11 and that was over and above an offer which was something like a round figure like you know, £120,000 or £120,500. You get the idea. Um, always put the, the lucky number. It doesn't, very rarely does it matter. But you, I tell you what, you don't want to be the person who lost out by £11. So that's lucky number. Um, the the next sort of people that you come across is the the nuclear option or the skiers uh, the skiers are your older generation your downsizers uh, skier stands for spending the kids inheritance uh, and really what they're doing is that they're just rather than keeping the 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 money in the bank they are putting everything into the property so they're downsizing, they've got money to spend and rather than keeping it in the bank, they're just putting it into property. So it really doesn't matter as far as they're concerned how much they offer for the property because this is going to be their last move and so they're only ever going to crystallise a loss. In fact, if there is a loss, they'll only ever crystallise a loss upon the sale of the property and if they're not going to ever sell the property until they die, on the basis that they're not going to die for a good number of years, they're not too bothered as to how much they will um, pay for the property. Great if you're a seller, uh, not great if you're in competition with them. Next is you've got your home report hedgers. Uh, those are the ones who know exactly what the home report is and they try and second guess what somebody else in the chain is going to be bidding. Um, never a, a, a fan of of home report hedgers. Uh, not something that I was I would espouse as a tactic. And then you've got the the crowd that are are what's for you won't go by you. Um, very much so happy go lucky. They'll put an offer in and they'll maybe put four or five offers in and and ultimately their view is well some there'll be a property there that I'll buy and uh, you know they're not they're not overly concerned when you phone them up and say that their offer hasn't been accepted. So so that's what's for, you won't go by you. Uh, and then you've got uh, the investors and they come under under the hammer. So you've got your under the hammer investor and then you've got your yielder. Uh, under the hammer investor is a hard-nosed investor. Uh, he's got probably a property portfolio and he will not go over a certain amount of money because what he's looking to do is he's looking to turn the flat or flip the flat, uh, do a quick refurb on the flat, get it back on the market and then turn a nice tidy profit. 
and ultimately if he can't buy for the can't buy the property for x then he's not going to be able to sell it for y and um the next the next person in the uh, in the chain is going to be your yielders this is your again investor it's a buy to let investor this time and they've got their eyes on the prize with regards to rental yield. What they're talking about here is that they need to make sure that they pay as little as possible for the property because they need to turn a profit in terms of the rental yield. So again, the more they pay for the property, then the more they're likely to have to borrow and the more they borrow, then the more they'll have to charge in rent. And for most parts, um, there will be an upper end as to what somebody is prepared to pay for to rent a property. And again, it's a finite a finite game that the uh, property investor, the, the yielder, has to play there. So those are the, the five sort of um, people that you can come up against. Uh, what I tell my clients when we are... Uh, speaking to them in relation to how much they should offer for the property. Probably five things that, that I'll say to them. That One of the most important things is, well, how long are you going to be staying in the property? And the reason why I ask this is very much down to the fact that if they're not going to be staying in the property for very long and they'll be looking to move on pretty quickly, then they should be trying to buy the property at the keenest possible price. Because as I've alluded to earlier, in the piece that if you are looking to buy another property you're going to be looking to use the profit that you make from your existing property and use that to um, jump the ladder with regard to the property um, the property side of things so what i would say when I'm I'm speaking to clients and advising on clients there are sort of five things that I suggest to them that they should be thinking about uh, the first one is how long are you going to be staying in the property the situation with this is that the shorter time you're going to be staying in the property then the keener you have to ensure you buy the property for because if you're going to be moving on pretty quickly then any profit that you make uh, will be lessened by the fact that you've paid too much for the property in the first part. So it's important to try and get as keen a price as possible so that you maximise the return that you make if you have to sell the property in in one or two years. If, however, you're staying in the property for a long period of time or this is going to be your last property, you're maybe downsizing. I spoke earlier about the skiers analogy. Then, you know, fill your boots and, and throw as much money into the property as possible because um, you, you're not going to be wanting to buy another property. And so all you're doing is you're moving your money out of the bank or, or stocks and shares or wherever your, your deposit is and you're, you're investing it in property. If you're at a closing date, on to the second one. If you're at a closing date, then generally speaking, you're going to have to bid in excess of the home report value. The markets through in Glasgow and Edinburgh at the moment are just utterly crazy. And uh, it's very difficult to pick anything up on a one-to-one -one negotiation that hasn't been on the market for a, a pretty long period of time. And you're 
probably going to have to look at trying to, to bid in excess of the home report value to be successful at the moment. Next is to look at the type of property that you are buying. You know, if this is a one-off property, then you may want to, to really push the boat out because there won't be another property like it. But there are so many properties, certainly in, in Glasgow and other major cities that are of a certain style. In Glasgow, it's the sandstone tenement or the red sandstone tenement um, that are, are in essence to a penny. So what you don't want to be doing is paying a king's ransom for a property that, you know, the next door neighbour might put their property on the market two weeks later and, and you may come or it may come as a bit of a shock when you realize that you've paid too much for for the property what i always say to my my clients uh, is that you can do anything with the property if you've got a bit of uh, imagination and you know what you're doing um you know don't be sold on uh, you know, a fantastic looking kitchen or fantastic decor, fantastic furniture. These are things that you can add add value to the property. So uh, I would be saying to you that if it is not a bespoke one-off property, then, you know, be very careful, especially if you're only going to be living in the property for three or four years. I mentioned earlier about lucky number. There's probably... Most clients will come to me and, and ask about that and I say you're, you're better going with a lucky number than, than not. Uh, say you don't want to be losing out on that property for £11. And the final thing I would say to you is to, for goodness sake, put an offer in. I'll tell you a little story about the property that I bought, the last property that I bought that I'm currently staying in. We had been looking at a property for uh, for the family and we I had done my sums and it was Clyde property, I think, that we're, we're selling the property. And I had decided that we shouldn't be putting an offer in because I just felt it was going to go to a closing date and everybody and their auntie was after this property and I just didn't think, I, I thought we would be wasting our time putting in an offer because I thought that the most that we could afford was just wasn't going to be in the ballpark. So my wife phones me up uh, shortly after the closing date and uh, I end up speaking to one of the assistants in Clyde to find out you know, how much the property went for just to see whether or not it was so far out with our ballpark that we could just forget about buying that kind of property and phoned the estate agents up only to be told that they hadn't they had received offers, but none of the offers had been accepted, to which I then inquired, well, what were they looking to accept, thinking that they would come back with some ridiculous amount? And you know what? They came back with a figure that was £10,000 less than what I was intending to put in at the closing date. So, you know, that is a story all about, for goodness sake, put an offer in. That is certainly advice that I could never give to a client but again, a story of, of just making sure that, you know, if you're thinking about putting an offer in, just make sure and put uh, an offer in. So that's pretty much me rounded up what uh, the offer is all about. Um, we've gone through the process. Uh, as I say, 
at a closing date, you should really be told pretty soon after. And uh, what I would say is, is no good, no news is, is bad news. After you have got the great news from your solicitor that the offer has been accepted, then it's down to the lawyers to bang their heads together and uh, get the legal process going forward. Uh, and next week's show, we'll we'll talk a bit about negotiations before we do get into the nitty gritty of the, the qualified acceptance. What I would say to you is that expect to get a qualified acceptance. Qualified acceptance is the written acceptance from the seller. Expect that to, to be sent to the purchaser solicitor probably seven to ten days after your offer has been verbally accepted. There's no general rule as to, to when you're going to get that and sometimes it can take longer than seven to ten days and the reason that it sometimes can take as long as that is that the offer from the estate agent has to go to the seller solicitor sometimes the the seller hasn't appointed a solicitor so that can sometimes take some time and then the selling solicitor has to uh, send the offer to the client the client then has to take and uh, give the instructions to the solicitor who then has to send the documentation over to to you as the purchasing solicitor so it can take a little bit of time we sometimes get a word back from our clients concerned that it's taking a, a bit of time and what I tend to say is that if my clients are looking to get a mortgage then it's no bad thing that the sellers are taking as long as they are because ultimately uh, we are not as the purchasing solicitors we are not going to be concluding missives until we have got a mortgage in place so it is uh, a fine a balancing act between uh, moving the transaction forward and protecting the client just to make sure that we don't conclude missives until we've got the ability to pay the purchase price. So that's everything there. Um, Next week we're going to talk about the negotiation process. Okay, so that's episode seven in the can. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please do get in touch with me. It's always good to get some feedback on the show. Uh, You can get in touch with me through LinkedIn. And uh, we've also got a website, www.thebricksandmortarpodcast.co.uk. You can send me an email. You can send me that at jonathanwilliams at begleybrown.co.uk and you can find me on the Twitters under the handle jwilliams underscore bb. Do send me an email or get in touch with me. It's always good, as I say, to get some feedback. The promotion of the the podcast, I'm always keen to try and promote the podcast to um, all of my clients Uh, who are buying and selling properties and uh, if you could also if you're listening to this promote the podcast that would be super Um, i've got some flyers which uh, if you're living in glasgow you'll see hopefully around the west end Uh, i've got some 15 by 15 flyers which are are going out and i've got some business cards to promote the podcast but again uh, if you could do that that would be much appreciated next week we're going to talk about negotiating uh, the real nuts and bolts of of what i do and, and the true value that i can give to a client is all about negotiating on behalf of clients that's pretty much in a one-to-one basis rather than a, a closing date scenario that we talked about earlier in the episode I'm off to run the marathon, the half marathon rather, in Kintyre, down in Campbelltown on Sunday. 
Uh, let's see if I can uh, dip under 145. It may well be just a, a miracle if I'm able to do that. Uh, and I, I think I said in last week's show, I was thinking about putting my property macronish on the market. Uh, that's moving forward. I'm going to get DM Hall out to do the home report. We're just going down to Macrahanish at the weekend just to have a scout about the property, make sure that everything is tiggity-boo before the surveyors come about and give the uh, do the survey for the home report. So I'm going to sign off now. Uh, I've dropped just uh, picking up number one from Scotston and then we're up to get number two from GHK. Uh, again, the hockey season shows no end or no sign of stopping and it could well be that that is entering into a 12-month season. So I'm going to sign off now. Uh, thanks very much for listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast, taking a sideways look at property We'll catch you next week.